My brothers and sisters in Christ, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Haitao, the pastor of Chinese ministry at Westchester. I feel so honored to be here today. Thank you all. And thanks to Pastor Chuck to allow me to share God's word with you. If I use more time than usual, please forgive me since I'm not the lead pastor. <laughs> I feel a little jealous of Pastor Chuck since my wife and uh, my second daughter, Anthea, are in the, down in the fireside room listening to his preaching uh, through the Zoom. Uh, but thank you for my little daughter, Clintha. <laughs> She's here. <laughs> You're so dear to me. <laughs> oh, this morning I talked to Pastor Chuck. He's doing fine now, and uh, uh, he prayed for me and the whole service. Oh, he's nice and uh, godly man. Today I would like to talk about the ancient history and the law of the Israelites, uh, a regulation, uh, a piece of a regulation from the law enacted 3,500 years ago. That is the setup of a cities of refuge. Uh, following the background, after being saved from the bondage in Egypt, the Israelites arrived at the Mount Sinai. Jehovah the Lord descended on the mountain in fire. God spoke to the people face to face and gave them uh, called the Ten Commandments. The sixth commandment uh, says this, you shall not murder People cannot deprive others of their lives uh, carefully or brutally. Uh, later, Moses received more detailed decrees and regulations. The regulation of the city's refuge is a spe special part of the Sixth Commandment. Uh, first, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we gather today at Westchester as one body to worship you, to proclaim our thanks to you, May the Holy Spirit lead us to understand more of today's material so that we can see your wisdom and the glory through the word. Open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your law that we will be delighted and willing to obey your decrees. In your precious name, amen. Uh, when a term appears in the Bible repeatedly, it must be very important. The cities of refuge is such an example. It appears at least five times as following in the Old Testament, in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. So it is important. Today, let's look at the, uh, how Numbers 35 de describes the cities of refuge. Then the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, Select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge for the avenger so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Uh, give three on this side of the Jordan and three in Canaan as cities of refuge. These six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites and for foreigners residing among them so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. We see that there are two main purposes of those cities of refuge. First, they save the manslayer from the avenger because the man 
Slayer may flee there while they wait to stand trial before the assembly. Second, they serve as something like a prison uh, to the mass layer because the mass layer is not permitted to leave until some time. There are also two main principles to follow the, uh, to select the cities of refuge. Principle one, they must be a city uh, of the Levites. Among the 12 tribes of the Israelites, the Levite tribe is a special one. Only people from this tribe can serve in the uh, uh, tabernacle in the wilderness or the holy temple in the, uh, Jerusalem. Specifically, the priests are chosen from Aaron's offspring, also from this uh, tribe. The Levites have special responsibilities, including religious and civil duties. Levites are responsible for tabernacle and temple affairs, uh, preservation of legal documents, interpreting and teaching the laws. For the Israelites, God's law is the only basis of making decisions and judgment in civil affairs. Due to the special religious responsibilities, most of the judges are Levites. So it is reasonable to choose the cities of Levites to be the cities of refuge. One other reason is that the Levites, uh, they have 48 cities uh, scattered in the whole land, so it was very convenient to choose uh, the, the cities of refuge from them. The second principle is there were three on each side of the Jordan River. If the cities were uh, too hard to access, then an avenger could easily chase and overcome the mass layer. The purpose of the cities of refuge uh, would not be fulfilled. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, uh, geographic locations of the six cities. There were three on each side of the Jordan River, so uh, it takes at most one day to walk to the nearest city of refuge from anywhere in the land. So it's very convenient. <clears throat> uh, let's read the verse 15 again. These six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites and for foreigners residing among them, so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. I would like to emphasize the word anyone. This regulation applies to anyone who commits the sin and would like to seek the refuge. There are further commands attached to the fugitive. Verse 31 says, uh, it talks about the, someone who has murdered on purpose. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. And the verse 32 talks about someone who has killed by accident. And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to this city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. Verse 31 and 32 show two scenarios. If a person kills on purpose, he must be put to death. There's no other way to exempt him from being, uh, from the death punishment. This rule is against the many murder cases that we see today. God's command of judgment for the Israelites back then was life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. If a person kills accidentally, he is not deserving of death. He has to flee to one of the cities of refuge from the avenger and stay there until the death of the high priest. The city serves as a, 
uh, penal colony for him to stay temporarily. People usually want to be back to their pro property as soon as possible uh, to enjoy the thorough freedom and uh, other benefits. However, the only way to free the mass layer from their confinement was to wait for the death of the high priest. In other words, the banishment in the city of refuge does not ultimately save and restore the sinner. Instead, the death of the high priest redeems the sinner. In summary, the murderer cannot buy his life with money or anything else, and the manslayer cannot buy his freedom either. Theologically, these regulations fulfill the sixth commandment, which requires the justice in dealing with human's life. The murderer's life is taken for the sin of murder. For the manslayer who kills someone without intent, his life is kept in the city of refuge. And the death of the high priest covers the innocent blood that was shed. Therefore, the whole land is not polluted by innocent blood, and the Israelites are to be kept holy and secret as God's people. So Numbers uh, 35, uh, chapter 35, 33 to 34 tells us the reason behind the command. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live in the midst of which I dwell, for the Lord dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. Therefore, the setup of the, of the uh, uh, cities of refuge is a manifestation of the righteousness and the mercy of the Lord. God is not indulgent towards sin. Out of his mercy and grace, God provides a way out of the desperate situations. When we read the regulations of the Old Testament and want to apply the basic principles to current era, we need to know that the author, what the author wanted to say to his original audience. Uh, then through the filter of the gospel, namely the revelation of the truth of the cross, we can ponder over what God is speaking to us through the Old Testament messages. This is true because Jesus is the center of the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Paul teaches in Colossians 2, Therefore, let no one pass, pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Jesus proclaims that, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The cities of refuge is no exception. So we must try to see the connections between us and the audience 3,500 years ago. The sin of man's leer is a sin. It must be dealt with to keep the identity of being God's selected people in the covenant. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All the saints need to be dealt with too. Thus, the man's leader's sin is extended to all the sins of humanity. Uh, look at the, uh, look at the uh, uh, picture. I, I tried to express this idea. The death of the high priest freed the man's leader to enjoy all the blessings God has provided. 
the restoration that came due to the death of the high priest directly relates to the work Jesus that has done to redeem us. From what Jesus has done, namely his death and the resurrection, we are cleansed, relationships are restored, and we are accepted to be God's children. The death of the high priest is closely related to us today because of the sinful nature of human. The Bible teaches that all have sinned. David says this, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. Uh, this, the, the next passage is similar. You may still think you are not a sinner. Let's just read the Ten Commandments briefly, recorded in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Uh, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before you, before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother, then uh, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet. The first four commands define the relationships with the Lord. The rest define the relationships among people. After examining the law carefully, I have to admit that I cannot observe even a single one of the ten. If we are honest to ourselves, we know we are sinners. The Ten Commandments tell us so. Additionally, you don't have to violate all the of the ten to be a sinner. James teaches that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it, just like a house with a lot of doors. If one door is left unlocked, then the whole house is actually unlocked. Realizing you are a sinner and having the desire to solve the problem is the first step to salvation. Packer says this, if you have not learned about sin, you will not be able to make head of tail or tail of the Bible. For the Bible is an exposition of God's answer to the problem of human sin. Unless you have that problem clearly before you, you will keep missing the point of what it says. Then we, not, we are in a difficult situation. Like the psalmist in, uh, says in 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the winds of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Seth, Seth was a young man at our state. He was the first one to share the gospel with me. 
I felt interested in Chinese Qigong at that time and told him that it helped to keep the body healthy. When Seth heard this, there was a confusion in his eyes. He asked me, how about the sin? How do you deal with the sins? I was very impressed with the question, although I did not have an answer since I was not a follower of Christ yet. Let's come back to the cities of refuge and the death of the high priest. Many people would like to regard the cities of refuge to a typology of Jesus Christ. It's not wrong, but as we just observed, fleeing into the cities does not solve the problem fundamentally. The sinner had to stay there waiting for the death of the high priest before he's truly saved. When I talked to my daughter, Anthea, uh, about this, she told me that a refuge city is more like the law to her. Paul says this, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The cities of refuge, like the law, were guardians for the imprisoned sinners as they waited for their true justification. So they obviously, the high priests are the real typology of Jesus Christ. The death of the high priest satisfies the righteousness of the Lord with regard to the justification of life. Similarly, the death of Jesus Christ cleanses our sins. God the Father then hides his face from our sins. Second Corinthians reads, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For the manslayer at that time, after fleeing into the cities of refuge, they had to wait for the death of the high priest to be fully freed. Some might die in the refuge city because, uh, before the high priest died. But for us, once we have recognized our sins, we have repented and have declared Jesus Christ as our Lord in our hearts, we don't need to wait for anything. Jesus Christ has already died for us. What a privilege. For us, fleeing to the cities of refuge and the death of the high priest happens simultaneously. Two months ago, I read a sermon uh, called Holy Violence, delivered by Reverend Spurgeon, uh, May 15, 1859. He describes the scenario in his message, once let a man know that hell is beneath his feet, and if, he, if that does not make him Ernest, what would? No wonder that his prayers are importunate, that his endeavors are intensely earnest when he knows that he must escape, or else the devouring, devouring fire will lay hold on him. Suppose now you had been a Jew in the olden time, and one day while taking a walk in the fields, you had seen a man running with all his might. Stop, you see, stop, my dear friend. You will exhaust yourself. He goes on and on with all his might. He run after, you run after him, pause a while. You see, and the rest, the grass is soft. Sit down here and make your, make your ease. 
See, here I have some food and a bottle. Stop and refresh yourself. But without saluting you, he says, no, I must away, away, away. Why? Wherefore? You see, he's gone so far ahead. You run after him with all your might, and scarcely able to turn his head, he exclaims, the city of refuge, the city of refuge, the man's lair is behind me. Now it is all accounted for. You do not wonder that he runs with all his might now. When the man's lair is after him, you can well understand that he would never pause for rest until he has found the city of refuge. So let a man know that the devil is behind him that the avenging law of God is pursuing him, and who can make him stop? Who shall endeavor to make him stay his race until he enters Christ, the city of refuge, and find him secure? This will make a man earnest indeed to dread the wrath to come and to be laboring to escape therefrom. I must away, away. Away, the city of refuge. The city of refuge, the man's lair is behind me. This should be our proper response. We can see that the regulations in chapter 35 applies to all. Anyone who accidentally kills a person could flee to one of the refugee cities. Likely, anyone who wants to deal with his sin seriously and has the desire to be saved could come to Jesus for salvation. Isn't it that amazing? Second, we can see the only salvation. The man's leader had to dwell in the land until the death of the high priest. Likewise, as Jesus declares, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter says this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. There is salvation ready for all, and the only salvation. Third, we can see the ending for those who reject. The murderer had to pay the debt of life by his own life. There were no other ways from them to, to be exempted from death penalty. The man slayers who were not in the city of refuge had no chance to be justified. Likewise, there's only one tragic ending for those who keep rejecting the grace of Jesus' salvation. The psalmist tells us so. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Paul also teaches that in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In this Thanksgiving season, I would like to ask the same question as you all. What are you thankful for? In Numbers 35, the death of the high priest was repeated four times. If I were an Israelite who had to flee to a city of refuge, I might pray day and night for the death of the high priest. 
so I can return home quickly. Now, our supreme high priest, Jesus Christ, has already died for us. Isn't it this something we should appreciate and be grateful for? Only he can purify the corruption of us sinners and the land. Based on Jesus Christ's fulfillment of this Old Testament regulation of refuge city, we have more to be thankful for. I just share two for, you, for your reference. First, I'm grateful for the beautiful fellowship in Christ. This fellowship is unique. It is diverse, yet unified. It is full of love, but with truth. A lot of sadness, but also a lot of laughter. David says, as for the saints in the land, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Amen. Personally, I'm thankful for the team I went to the Engage Global Conference with. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed the fellowship within the team. I encourage you, encourage you to be involved as much as possible in all fellowship opportunities. Second, I'm grateful for the wisdom of discernment. My son-in-law, Kyle, uh, told me, told my wife, actually, a story. His whole extended family has a tradition during Thanksgiving time. They would ask all children to make a gingerbread house. You know that, right? <laughs> of their own. And they vote the best in various aspects, such as creativity, design, color, etc. So each one can have an award. There used to be one award called Grandpa Choice Award to honor the grandpa. He could decide which one was his favorite. Uh, Kyle wanted to win the award. He learned that the grandpa loved the rose gardens, so Kyle uh, designed his guard, uh, the, the gingerbread house to be a rose garden. However, he was not skillful to make an elegant artwork at his young age. So he simply wrote on the uh, gingerbread house the words, Rose Garden. <laughs> Finally, he got the award as what he had dreamed. He himself even feels that it's not fair for him to get the award. I, however, think the award is a grace. Kyle could enjoy the grace since he tried to have the same mindset as his grandpa. In Engage Global, we had the chance to visit the culture of Somali Muslims. We met one of their imams. They greeted us warmly and invited us to have dinner with them. We had a big dinner, you can see that, big, big dinner that day. In the meantime, they tried very hard to share their faith with us. I feel we need to learn from their hospitality, generosity, and the strong desire to share their faith. In the eyes of men, they are definitely good people, but how about in the eyes of God? When we try to have the mindset of God, I could imagine God's wrath pouring down when they refuse to accept Jesus, God's only son, as their savior. Burke Parsons says, God calls us to be faithful 
for that is true success. Faithfulness always means fruitfulness and success in the eyes of God. It does not always mean success in the eyes of man. Also, David Guzik says, Repentance describes the very act of coming to God. You cannot turn towards God without turning from the things he is against. Today, we are surrounded by so many seemingly good people that we might gradually compromise to their beliefs and opinions and then gradually try hard to be accepted by these friends or try to make friends with them. One sister from our fellowship told us that one of, his one of her relatives was so nice that she even felt embarrassed to see that she was a Christian. But the relative believes in Buddhism. I'm grateful for the wisdom of discernment, that we have the absolute truth. To tell what pleases God and what merely pleases men, this is the only criterion to help us make choices. God gives us this ability that we can realize our desperate situation and thus our real needs. We can see the grace that God has provided. We can understand the way to salvation and we then have the ability to follow our Lord. Kyle's grandpa is a man with limitations. His decision might not be fair, yet his decision is the final for the award. But our omniscient God never fails. If you still are not a Christ follower, I have an appeal for you to consider. The high priest, Jesus Christ, has died for all and for you. Are you willing to flee to his salvation? If you are already a follower, I hope you do not limit your thankfulness to just a turkey feast, which represents all the material blessings God has provided. You can still be thankful for this and for the strength to serve, for the wonder of God's eternal being, for the wonder of our birth, the wonder of our life, even the wonder of our dying. But don't forget the foundation of all to have a thanksgiving celebration for the city of refuge, for what Jesus has done for his creation, so that we can live our lives in Jesus Christ, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as we were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, through the ancient decree of Refuge City, we now learn to know your transcendent wisdom of salvation you have prepared for us, even before the creation of the world. Through your own sacrifice on the cross, as we celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday, please guide our thankfulness to this foundation. Oh Lord, we have so much to thank for. for because only in you we live and move and have our being. Please help us walk with you, abide by your word of truth in the rest of our life. Bless Westchester in your precious name. Amen.